If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. With Indeed, everything hiring is all in one place and it makes it so easy. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences each day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. The more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join the more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash podcast. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, Moms Talk Autism. We have a very special episode for you today that's going to to follow what we're about to say here. Since we just wrapped up our grief series, um, perhaps you did get an opportunity to listen all to all six episodes of the grief series. But most importantly, on the last episode, we covered the wheels of adaptation being more adapted to the grief that you experience and understanding that grief is not linear. In the last part of that discussion, we lightly topped, we blah, we lightly touched upon the uh, last stage of the wheel of adaptation, which is separating. And the items or the concepts that included in the separation phase go hand in hand with leading you into today's discussion with our special guests that we're going to have. Um, so before we did that, I wanted to, again, we wanted to preface y'all with the right kind of mindset going into this and understanding that we all are in different places for it. And also understanding what may be standing in the way of even being getting in this phase of, of future planning. So, um, the last, the last stage of the wheel of adaptation is separating. And while we, while we always want to put things in a box, remember that this hemisphere, it's like a Venn diagram. It all shares space. You could be very much still in some form of search and survival mode and still looking to plan for the future. Okay. Um, but you start to imagine, because you've also had that more settling in phase where you've been able to coast a little bit, starting to really accept and feel comfortable with, with where you all are at um, as a family and juggling everything. Um, so you start to think about the life that you want to have with and for your child. And we mentioned one of the things that Shannon was doing was she just bought a new house and the new house has what they call a uh, gen ed suite. And it um, will allow them the possibility and potential for pseudo independent living for um for Gracie while 
still being able to be probably very much be the permanent caregivers for or lifelong caregivers. And this is very much a reality that that can happen. Um, so part of the, the phase two of separating and future planning is also understanding that developing these resources and that our kids themselves may require extra time to then develop those resources. So it's why it's not a bad idea to, even if you are not ready to take the next steps as our next, our special guest will actually highlight and spotlight in his conversation. It's that you've kind of had, you've at least touched on it. You're touching on it, thinking about it. It's kind of the seed is planted and it will give you some things to kind of pontificate over. Um, and it also just thinking about, again, life looking a lot differently in the, and what is possible instead of, again, that being that attached to that uh, initial idea um, of what we thought our life was going to be with our kids. And it can be really hard and confronting, especially, again, as we talked about many times throughout the entire series, you are confronted with, you know, you've reached another area of what would be a typically developing child's milestone. And, and you, again, you didn't anticipate having a feelings about it and, and you are. Um, so some of those, some of these other challenges that come into play that may prohibit the future planning um, are obvious communication challenges um, and working through that. And that's again, also why keeping in mind that the, the amount of time and planning it will take you will be longer. It's not just, you know, one or two meetings. It's, you know, a progressive planning period. It's, it's lots of conversations with professionals and um, perhaps even family members, um, whoever, whoever is going to be, have some type of hand in a role in, what the future will lie with, with our children. Um, there may be social challenges and there also may be safety challenges. And this is a very, very real one because we don't know fully what our child's cognition or capabilities are going to be. And you want to provide thinking about even living accommodations to the fullest autonomy as possible and least restricted environment. Again, it applies here in this type of planning. You'll hear about least, uh, least restricted environment when you're, when you're navigating educational waters, but you, it's a, it, it's something that again, will take time to develop and is ongoing repetition and reminders. And the, the, so again, a lot of the things that you have in place now that you're working towards with your child's, goals, probably, whether you, whether you intended to or not actually do include, you know, future planning, because you're planning for the future and trying to ensure as, you know, the highest level of safety as possible. Um, and then what we do touch upon in this episode, and you'll hear, and I want you to listen to so that you can remain curious and ask questions, um, is the things that may hinder 
us why we are doing the future planning outside of maybe these more interpersonal challenges are the lack of resources that may be out there. There may be transportation and accessibility issues. In addition to, and this is a big one, and this is a a cultural thing, is the attitudes in the community and society. You know, those stigmatizations that are out there may prohibit or hinder us in ways that we are trying to develop those future planning. So that all may seem very overwhelming, but that's why it's really important to, even if you're not ready to start to enact a plan now, like full throttle, the full scope of the plan, understanding that it is one step at a time and just starting to think about it is a good step in the right direction. So just keep a really good listening ear and think about questions that you may have um, as you listen to what Jeff has to say. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Moms Talk Autism. Today, we have a special guest with us. We're going to be talking about all of the legal things that we need to know that none of us know anything about. And um, we're just going to pick his brain. Uh, hopefully, he, <laughs> he can handle all of our questions. So uh, stay tuned and uh, we'll get right to it. When you become a mom, you never imagine your child getting an autism diagnosis. It feels like your dreams have shattered, like a framed photograph falling off your mantle, exploding into a thousand pieces. But instead of trying to glue those pieces back together, this community of moms is here to help you build a new dream, a better one. So join in the conversation as us moms talk autism. Okay, today we have, like I said, a special guest. Um, first of all, we have uh, Tosh is absent today. She's got some kindergarten graduation, very important um, uh, things to be at today. But Shannon is here. Hey, and guys. Jean is here. Hello. <laughs> Jean's holding her head like, uh, <laughs> it's been a morning. <laughs> <laughs> and we've got uh, Jeff Stevens here. Jeff is a partner at the law firm here in Northern California, GVM Law. And he is here to talk about legal advocacy for our special needs kids. And Jeff is not only a, um, a lawyer, but he's also a dad. And his son and my daughter, Ruby, go to school together. And that's how we um, met. And uh, we're just so awesome, so grateful and so um, excited to talk to you today, Jeff. So welcome. Yeah. Th- thank you very much. I'm excited to be here. Awesome. Well, let's talk a little bit about you and your family first. Um, get to know each other a little bit. So, um, yeah, what are yeah. you? What are you all about, Jeff? Tell us. <laughs> Great. Well, I, um, I'm glad you started with. Uh, so, my my son Calvin is, uh, I guess, the reason I'm here today. And uh, like you said, Brittany, uh, he and Ruby, Ruby's just about his favorite person at school, certainly. Um, and and so Calvin, he's. Uh, eight going on nine now. And, um, just a really, of course, special person in, in my life and our family. Um, just a little background for family's sake. And before we can get to answering, I guess, some 
legal issues, not all. Not <laughs> everything. Yes, <laughs> right. You're right. I'll, I'll qualify that a little bit. Um, but yeah, so um, anyway, yeah, Calvin, eight years old, but um, I've got a couple other children also. Um, there's James, who's 10, and a little sister, Adele, who's five. And uh, Calvin uh, is just right there in the middle. Uh, we are transplants to Northern California. Uh, my wife and I met uh, in LA uh, at UCLA. And for, I guess, the last 12 years, I've sort of been making a tour of California, <laughs> uh, Thousand Oaks, Napa, and now up in the Sacramento area. Um, great, um, you know, comfortable where we are now and, and things are great. Um, but uh, yeah, so, so that's a little bit of our, our background and just who we are. Um, I'm an attorney by trade, but like you said, um, kind of dad is... <laughs> The, the title I, I probably wear the most proudly here. So awesome, yeah. So I guess your next stop on your California tour would be uh, Reading, if you're going to keep. Yeah, going. exactly. It's just going okay. right up the the coast yeah. there. That makes sense. All right. Maybe Eureka. <laughs> stay stay here a little longer, please. Yes. Uh, yeah. Ruby, Ruby loves Calvin very much as well, and uh, I think she'd be very sad if he left. So. <laughs> yeah, I, I think we're here for the long haul. The, the schools, awesome. the programs, and support for Cal's been just great. I agree. I agree. Well, wonderful. Thank you. Um, tell us a little bit about Calvin's um, diagnosis. He has autism. Um, you know, when did you guys find out? Um, uh, what kind of signs did you guys see? Uh, people are, a lot of our listeners are um, maybe just starting out on the autism journey. Um, they've got young kids. They're just starting with diagnosis. They're talking to doctors. And so a lot of people are usually interested in, in knowing kind of how you started on the autism you know, life. Certainly. Okay. Um, and maybe I'll just say right now, I, my nomenclature and vocabulary on all this is maybe not all what it should Don't be. Worry about so it. I'm, I'm going to it. just kind of explain the best way I see it. But so our boy Calvin, he is, um, he has autism and we didn't know that until he was probably four and a half years old about, which I know is later than a lot of people find out about mm -hmm. um, their child. Um, so one of the, I, I guess when I'm reflecting on it, there should have been probably um, signals that we should have kept up on or, or noticed more readily as he was younger. Um, when he was a toddler and an infant, um, we chalked a lot of things up to maybe just personality quirks or you know, he's our second child. And I think we got caught um, a little bit in um, forcing ourselves to not compare him so much to our first child, who was mm -hmm. very bright and very um, quickly developing. And in our minds, you know, it's our second child It's kind of, you know, every child must be different and everyone kind of goes at their own speed. Um, so when he was four and a half, I think, and I do not know if this is accurate medically, but I think some uh, life uh, stressors um, may have kind of tipped it over. And um, so we had a move. We moved from Napa to Sacramento area in um, 2017. And at the same time, we had our daughter Adele. And both of those happened early in the year and kind of disrupted our lives as a family a bit. And those were all good developments, but, you know, they put some pressure on the family dynamics and it was shortly after Adele was born that it was kind of all at once. Uh, my wife, Kelly noticed, I noticed, um, 
Kelly's sister noticed. It was sort of all at once, everyone knew that there was an issue with Calvin. Um, he'd always been a little bit uh, more solitary, you know, not as engaged in things, but he just seemed a little bit independent. But it was at that time that he kind of demonstrated tics or uh, some stimming and repetitive behaviors. And it was just all of a sudden, it's like, wow, we got, we got to take him to see somebody and, and maybe see about a diagnosis and, and see what's going on. Yeah. So, so that, that was sort of our experience, just dipping into this world. Did you, um, when you started noticing those things with Calvin, did you automatically think, oh, is this autism? Do you think he's autistic? Or was it something that the doctor brought up first? Like, when did you first get that word in your head? That's a, a good question. I think it was among the things we were considering. It, okay. Um, and again, this will be my sort of limited exposure to this world. I only have my experience to go off of, really. Um, but in my mind, he was acting like someone who had autism. Mm-hmm. I, I haven't known a lot of people like that, but, um, and you know, until <laughs> Calvin came along. Um, but in our minds, yeah, that was one thing we wanted to bring up with the doctor in particular, um, you know, deferring to that opinion and diagnosis, but it, it was something we, we had specific questions about. Absolutely. Yeah. And then, okay, you've gone to the doctor. Was it an easy diagnosis right away? Did you, it was like, absolutely, this is it. And you were off to the races or was it kind of a process? Um, that's, that's a funny way of saying it. So I think the the getting the diagnosis was the easiest part for us. And I, okay. I don't know if that's true with most families or situations, but for us, it was pretty readily apparent. It, it seemed to yeah. the doctor who initially looked at him. Um, and from that point though, off to the races is not really how I would describe it um, <laughs> because we have had, um, and this might be a takeaway that, you know, our family has, has demonstrated. And I guess the takeaway would be like, you really have to advocate and like be the one to push for treatments and push for additional, um, like tests and, and trying to really push, um, these medical professionals, I think, uh, no disrespect to them and what they do and offer, but the parents or the family is the one who will know the child the best, of course, and be the ones that are most interested in noticing things. And that's what we've had to learn is that we're the ones who have to really push that and look for more and seek solutions. Um, so off to the races, we were a little <laughs> slow out of the gate, I would say. That's okay. Um, but, um <laughs> We, we picked it up and it's, it's a marathon, not a sprint. And, you know, things are going well now. We absolutely agree with that. And we've, we've said those probably exact words on here ourselves. It is a marathon. Um, my own experience, just because we were both in Northern California when we started, it was a little bit like call this number. And then it was set up this therapy, this therapy, this therapy. And it was, it was very overwhelming at first. So yeah, that's why I was curious if it was a similar uh, situation, but yeah, there's a lot of advocacy we need to do. Um, We have to push for things. We have to um, ask for things. We have to talk to other parents who uh, maybe know things that doctors aren't telling you or therapists aren't telling you. And, and I know your wife, Kelly is amazing at that. Um, She's always looking for, new things, different things, new studies, um, you know, new therapies for Calvin. So no, absolutely. She is, um, 
definitely the expert on the medical issues here. She has a medical background and I mean, she's been the the real champion for him. And, you know, I give the support where I can, but this is really her expertise and, and she's the one driving it. And that's, you know, great for our family and I'm, you know, it's, it's working out. So that's awesome. And just so everyone knows, yes, I've talked to Kelly about getting her on here. And yes, we will interview her in the future because she is a wealth of knowledge. She truly, truly is. Yeah. I'm glad I could go first because she will outshine me, certainly. I I, I couldn't follow that act at all. Well, we talked about we needed to have you on first so she could refute anything you said. Yeah, Yeah. correct. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, good. Um, How does Calvin um, communicate and interact with the world like how um how how would you say you know we don't want to compare children because everybody's different but it kind of give us a you know what's calvin like what are his interests and hobbies and what 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 makes him happy oh yes i love talking about cal okay (laughs) he is genuinely a, a sweet person with a happy disposition and that has smoothed out so many rough edges and trials for our family. Um, he just has a very positive personality. He doesn't get angry very much. He doesn't get sad or depressed. He's, yeah. he's very positive. And that has made this all, you know, kind of um, bearable. Um, he, thankfully, he can speak. Um, he cannot write. Uh, I think that's as much a function of his he has a real challenge with his fine motor skills. So mm-hmm. he has trouble holding pencils and pens. Um, he has real trouble focusing. So it's sometimes hard to uh, get a good gauge of what he actually knows and doesn't know because mm-hmm. he's you know so hard to pin down and you know get him to respond to things. Um, but thankfully he can talk. And as things have developed, um, you know, it's on his terms, but he will come to you and, you know, he can advocate a little bit for himself and let you know what's wrong or what he needs and if something's bothering him. So um, that that's how he interacts with the world. Um, thankfully, his sweet, you know, personality, he makes a lot of friends wherever he goes. And yes, he does. Teachers seem to love him. Parents, you know, are, are patient with him. Um, neighbors are, are patient with him. Um, and, and so that's kind of his interaction with the world, I think is, you know, he's mostly disengaged. He has a lot of, um, sort of obsessive or hyper, um, ticks and, and quirks to him. Um, but, but mostly everyone's pretty, pretty friendly and, and he lets us know what he needs when he wants it. And the rest of the time he's sort of, um, going through the routines that we put in front of him. And yeah. You know, doing it like a, a being a real good sport about it. Yeah. So, so, so yeah. So we're very lucky that way. He he's um, a, a person we were able to get to know him a little bit. He can talk. He can play with us. He likes jokes. Um, yeah. He he loves to um, tease you by giving you the wrong answer for something. Um, <laughs> call you by the wrong name on purpose. Things oh, like Calvin. That. So, so he's he's definitely <laughs> got a little bit of a. Um, a streak in him that way. Yeah. So, that's so awesome. Fun. Yeah. How is he with his siblings? What's that interaction like? Um, he is mostly disengaged with his siblings. Yeah. So again, he's, he's mostly his own man. Um, he will sometimes ask them to play with him, maybe mm-hmm. do a, a matching game or a board game of some kind, or just come outside with him. Um, but he doesn't give a lot and just as 
the whole dynamic of the family, um, it makes it hard on Adele and James, you know, they kind of, you know, why won't our brother do this with us? But, you know, they're all close to the same age. That's really all they know. And Calvin's just Calvin to them. Right. And right. So, so they're understanding and patient and it it all kind of works out. That's awesome. Yeah. I I think we can all relate to how you're describing Mm -hmm. Calvin and his sibling interactions. Um, We all have children, at least one child of similar age um, to Calvin. So we can can definitely feel what you're saying there. Um, Well, uh, so Calvin goes to um, school every day during the school year. Um, do you do any other therapies outside of the home or is it just school and OT and speech there? Um, yeah, uh, he does do some outside, uh, as well. So again, the schools have been great. He's got his good, um, education plan tailored to him. Um, mm-hmm. he has speech, um, therapy there. And then after school, um, and, and this has changed over time. Currently he goes three days a week to, um, uh, ABA type therapy, um, where they'll work on, you know, fine motor skills or following directions or, um, grouping things into sets, uh, counting and things like that. So some additional training he goes, um, so it's probably, um, about 10 hours a week in addition to the schooling. Um, and it's great. Yeah. And, and that's been nice uh, to just to try to give him every opportunity and chance. That's great. Yeah. Well, one more question um, about you and your family, and this will kind of segue us into um, our next uh, part. Uh, But what do you see and hope for Calvin in the future? Uh, What do you, what do you wish for him and how do you see his life going? You know, it's, it's difficult to say, but we do, you know, we, we try to plan, we try to think ahead and and what can we do for these children? So. Yeah. Um, we have had to, um, and I, I don't know if, I think this is something we had to grow into. Um, we've come to a, a point, I think, where we're at a level of acceptance for whatever he will be, he will be. And mostly, I think, you know, as long as he's happy and healthy, would be fine. We hope one day he might be able to, you know, have some sort of job, I suppose, Um but I, I think he'll always live with us, I imagine, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, unless something tra- changes drastically. And that's great. He's a sweet person. We, we would love that. Um, so hopefully, I, I guess the main thing we would hope is, and this is a broader point, actually, he has autism, but we suspect that there's other issues he has that are, are uh, medical, other medical issues. Okay. Um, one of the things when I coming to this situation, my idea of what autism is, was sort of a black box. And so when I hear that Calvin has autism, automatically, I just assume that all the medical issues he has just go hand in hand with autism. It's like, oh, that's the diagnosis. And that's what it is. As it turns out, the diagnosis of autism doesn't explain maybe all of the things, all of the issues he has. He has problems with his digestion. And it turns out, no, we know now that he may have, um, I think as the doctor said, brain activity consistent with seizures or something like that. So oh, interesting. Not certain that it's seizures, but it looks like it might be. And right. these are things where it's taken a deeper dive to try to unpack. So I'm glad now that we've moved past just, we've gotten an autism diagnosis, but we're trying to move past that. So if we could resolve 
some of these other health issues. I think that's our first priority or our most immediate thing right now. Mm-hmm. And seeing what he can be after we resolve those. Um, I mean, he would just be, I think, that much healthier and happier. And so right. and that, that's, that's the really ultimate our goal, right? Those, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's our goal, certainly. Um, yeah. So anyway, it's just been a long path. We've tried and I'm sure in your podcast, you guys may have touched on a lot of other maybe alternative treatments. Um, I mean, we, I feel like we've tried everything, you know, whether it's necessarily medically approved or not. Um, right. These are, you know, magnet type of things or ion cleanse type of things. And I think people may have success with those. We, I feel like we've gone down along a lot of wrong paths and, you know, parents, you know, you get desperate just for anything that might help. Um, so I'm glad we've walked down all those maybe wrong paths to just exhaust everything and, and, and bring us to where we are here. Yeah. So, so I guess, uh, I'm glad we kept digging and getting these other, you know, leads on how to help them. And so I hope for the future, we can just resolve those. And then I guess right off into the sunset. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yes. Well, yeah, that makes total sense. Um, it, it is very uh, rare, I would say, that someone, yeah, like you were describing the black box, like autism is it, and that's your only thing. There tends to be other things. We're all complicated individuals. We all have, you know, medical, um, mental, all sorts of different, um, you know, issues in our lives, and and it will change as they get older. Um, as as we've entered puberty with my my child, autism, uh, Austin with autism, it's been. Um, it's been a journey. Hormones are hormones are powerful. So, yeah, I don't want to scare you or anything, but it's it's yeah, it's a whole nother level um, when you get there. So, right? Um, no, I I can only anticipate. I guess. Yes. It's, yeah. It's right. Coming right. Up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, very good. Well, let's let's get into uh, some of our questions about the future and um, what we hope for all of our kids. We do hope for health and happiness for each of them, whether that is an independent life or living with their parents or living with a caregiver of some kind. I think we are all grappling and, and wondering those things us personally and everyone listening. And, and what are we, how do we handle looking into all the options, first of all? Um, and, and what does that mean through, you know, the legal system of where we live, you know, whether that's a state basis or just in our own country. We're all in the United States, obviously, um, but we live in different states. So um, I think you you probably have a statement about this, but I'll I'll maybe start the conversation that some of these things are going to apply to where you live. um, And um, it it really does depend. You're going to have to really do your research on not only your country, your state, and maybe even your county or the area, the region that you live in, in the country to know what's, what's really legal or not legal or what, what is needed to required to, to get whatever legal action you need taken care of. Is that true? Yeah. Um, I think that's well said. Um, so my background specifically is in tax and estate planning and why I say that. So estate planning by its nature is very um, jurisdiction specific. State law will control a lot of the rules for for what kind of documents you need and what kind of uh, concepts or techniques may be um, applicable. So I'm in California. I can speak a lot about specific California things. Um, 
California is not necessarily, um, uh, it has some unique provisions in California. Um, many states have um, very similar estate planning provisions. And so, but anyway, long story short, I guess I'd say w- when you're looking to do planning for yourself, like it's going to, there's not going to be one um, just answer that applies to every state. So sometimes the resources you might look for online, you should, you know, use that as background, but then m- make sure you're, you're looking into the specifics for where you live. Certainly. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. Well, and, go ahead. Oh no, I, I didn't, I didn't mean to interrupt. I was just going to also say um, a lot of the, the work, the legal work that will go into um, assisting and providing for for these um, children and, and, and individuals. My background is the estate planning. There's pro- there's other attorneys that would be more specialized probably in um, dealing directly with the public agencies that might be resources. Um, so, so there's probably maybe two types of attorneys um, a person might need. Um, one to set up the documents and the trusts and estate planning and then another to really interface and advocate with the public agencies directly. And so. what what were what would be the name of those lawyers? What would be the title? Like if someone was looking for one, what would they look for or search for? Yeah, so I would probably search for estate planning attorney or and then the other type would be maybe public benefits is is a, a good search word. Um, okay. If you're looking for attorneys that specialize in public benefits. Um, there is a um it's National Association of Elder Law Attorneys. And I know we're not talking about elder law in particular here, but some of the issues will be the same as people are trying to, um, some of the attorneys that specialize in elder law care, the same types of concepts and rules and uh, resources might be applicable to disabled persons, same way with elderly. So that might yeah. be, a, if you're looking for a directory, uh, that's National Association of Elder Law Attorneys, N-A-E-L-A. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. That's awesome. Okay. Um, okay. Can you tell us a little bit about estate planning then? Um, let's start there and then maybe girls just jump in whenever you have questions as well. And uh, we'll go over, you know, we'd like to talk about trusts and, um, you know, just some basic definitions. We're talking about novice level stuff here. We're not, obviously you need to, you need to do your own research and really talk to your local uh, experts on it, but just what to search for, what to look for, what, what definitions of things, you know, we're looking for. So. Perfect. Yeah. I'll, I'll kind of just start going and you you guys can (laughs) jump jump in in and and guide it as, as we go. Okay. So um, when you're looking at estate planning, um, a few things to, to keep in mind at first. So first, some of the documents you need will apply only at your own death and others will apply during your lifetime. So people are uh, sometimes familiar with a will. That's usually the most basic estate planning type of document you can have. What that does is it's instructing the local court on what to do with your assets at your death. Um, In California, we use a lot of what's called a revocable trust. And it's similar to a will, um, but it's a way to take care of assets at death without necessarily being directly supervised by the probate court. So it's a little bit faster. It's more private. Um, And trusts are also good because it may be that a person hasn't died, but they become incapacitated. They can't handle their own affairs. So if assets are already held by a trust, it's easy for the next trustee to step in and just pick up the ball and start running with it. 
Um, some documents that apply during your lifetime would be maybe a, a durable power of attorney or a, a power of attorney document that allows someone to an agent to act for you in a legal capacity if you can't act for yourself. And some sometimes those are split up between a power of attorney document for financial and legal affairs and a power of attorney for healthcare decisions. Mm. In California, we call that an advanced healthcare directive. Um, so, so those are some basic uh, documents you might find in an estate plan. And where that kind of interplays now, when a person's creating their estate plan, they should really have in mind, you know, don't take the long-term approach necessarily right away. Make the documents as if they have to come into effect next week, right? Mm-hmm. You want to have something that will address the current situation. And if your situation changes, you can always update the documents, but getting a plan in place that, you know, who is the best person to care for my child tomorrow if something happens to me, you know, right. the very, very near term. Um, sometimes people get caught uh, trying to plan too far ahead and it, it, it can kind of um, bog things down and then the document never gets finalized. So, so planning for the immediacy is, is something that's really important. Um, for a special needs trust child, there's some additional considerations. So as people are maybe talking to their attorney, um, some specific things you might might want to, to address is um, for, for your own child. So when I'm planning for Calvin, it's who will take care of him. He'll need a guardian because he's a minor. Right. Um, even if he was an adult, he'd probably need a guardian. In California, we call it a conservator, someone who can act for him in all the legal ways to interface with the world on his behalf. Um, a conservator guardian is going to be someone that's appointed by a court, someone who the court feels is in the best interest of the child or the, the disabled individual. Mm-hmm. Um, that decision, there, at least in California, you can split up the roles. So there might be a conservator or guardian for Calvin. Well, he's a minor, but if he was an adult, you might have a conservative a conservator for Calvin's as a person, and then a conservator of Calvin's estate. So someone to manage his day-to-day, you know, control of his person and, and make his decisions for him as a human versus someone else who might actually manage the assets and watch the budget. And so you can separate that, those roles. Um, so in the conversations, you, you know, your listeners may have, um, thinking about these things about, who would actually take care of my child or my person's, you know, estate versus their, their, their person. And that might not always be the same individual you select to step into your shoes. Sometimes that role is different for. That's for, a really good point. Yeah. People. Yeah. That's a really good point. Um, and something to look into depending on where you live for sure. Um, I have a question about conservatorships. Um, so you, sure. you talk about how, you, you set up your will or you set up, you know, whatever you need for Calvin now as a minor, you know, I, I thought that was a really good piece of advice. Like, think about it like it's going to go into effect next week, right? I have definitely gone, gone down that path of thinking too far ahead and trying to plan for these, these you know, ideas in my head of how this is going to go 20, 30, 40 years from now. And I really have no idea. But you cannot, can you set up your conservatorship for Calvin now, or do you have to wait until he is of legal age before you can have that into effect? 
Yeah. So probably what the documents will be, again, that a court will appoint that guardian at the time based on who they think will be in the best position to do that. Mm -hmm. So really what you're doing in your documents is making a nomination um, that the court can give weight to, but that's not for certain. It's not, um, which is in contrast, if you have a trust and you name a successor trustee, that that's fairly automatic that the new trustee will just step into the place. Um, So yeah, good question on that. Um, Something that um, may come up if, so there's um, when you're talking about the resources for a child, I'm talking about financial assets and and resources. If a, if a child or a disabled person's receiving uh, public benefits or assistance Um, there may be additional planning issues that that come into play. So some public benefits are what's called uh, needs-based, meaning if you have too many assets, you won't qualify, or if you have too high of income, you can't qualify for it. Um, So that might be like your um, supplemental uh, income, SSI, um, and some healthcare uh, coverage like Medi-Cal in California. This is the Medicaid program here. Um, if, If the disabled individual is receiving those, um, you're going to want to be careful in your planning that you don't do something to disqualify them by giving them too many assets or, or too much income that, that could disqualify them from there. And happy to talk more about those, but um, that's just sort of a general uh, Yeah, I think we would like to hear to more watch about for. that. Yeah, but, but so that would be something that maybe a legal advocate would be able to help you know where to place those assets and where to do that, or, or would that be would you look somewhere else to, to find that advice or that help? Um, Hold on. I'm going to interject. Legal advocate is a different term. Oh, okay. I'm saying the wrong words. Gene, Gene always fixes our, our words. So legal (laughs) advocate would not, you would not hire in, in this world for special needs, you would not hire a legal advocate for that part. You're hiring counsel, you're obtaining counsel, you're obtaining a lawyer. Okay. That is, is different. Um, Mm -hmm. So that those two words using them interchangeably can be very confusing because a lot of people will apply a legal advocate as being someone who has the same authority as those with that is a lawyer. So okay. anyhow, go ahead. I did not know that. Thank you, Jean. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good distinction. Um, yeah. So, so maybe, so you're going to an attorney um, and you're, you've, you've got, let's say the special news person you're, you're trying to plan for. Um, so when a, When people say a special needs trust, I'll talk about that for a moment. Um, There's different types of special needs trusts. Um, One of the the most basic ones would be, so if I have Calvin and I want to set aside, say I have um, some some money I want to set aside for his future care. um, And if he were receiving public benefits, I would want to put that in a type of trust where he has no power to decide when that money is distributed to him. I would want to give the trustee who's holding the money complete discretion over when that child gets anything, if ever. And that can be a big um, responsibility. I'm trusting a trustee to look after Calvin's best interest. Um, But by doing that, I'm keeping those assets from being included in Calvin's countable assets when he's trying to qualify for these public Mm -hmm. benefits. This trust is something that, or the trust assets Calvin doesn't have any control over it, so it shouldn't be counted against him when he's trying to maintain these public benefits. 
So, so that's something to consider. That would be called um, a third person special needs trust, meaning me as a third person is creating this for Calvin. Okay. Outside assets are being set aside for Calvin. He never gets control over them. And so they shouldn't be counted against him. Okay. There's other. Can I? Oh, sure. so sorry. Oh, no. Go ahead. While you're to, while you're in this realm, I will I will disclose that um, we did for Rory have a trust set up. We then elected for it not to be a special needs trust in any form um, because there were too many requirements um, to qualify. It was actually going to inhibit and prohibit access to those funds if they were needed on a more immediate basis. Um, like for instance, one big part qualifier was he would have to be enlisted as a person with a disability. Many children on the spectrum with their own personal autonomy are not, you know, I'm reluctant to my son's eight years old going online as well, reluctant to make that qualification for him on his behalf at this point. Um, so that was another reason why we elected it was we're going to require a lot of things that were putting a little bit of things ahead of their time and their timeline and setting aside those. And again, wanting to have those immediate funds. So, and I, again, this is an examination from looking at, we have relatives in Maryland and then this being established for access in Texas. And so we were looking at this from two different, you know, state authorities um, and examining that landscape. So if you could, while we're having that conversation, like kind of definitely break down that because parents don't, I didn't know that. I immediately, my brain immediately went to, well, he's special needs. We'd set up a special needs trust, right? It wouldn't mm -hmm. ever dawn on me um, to have possibly said, uh, we're just going to set it up as a regular trust instead. So if you could. Yeah, um, I think that's a really good point and And we shouldn't gloss over. Not every disabled person needs like a special needs trust here. Like if, unless they're receiving these needs-based public benefits, like, which many are not, like, you know. They're you're not. Just, you're being, just trying to, yeah, if you're not. They're not accessible needing, to them. Yeah, and, and so if you're not going to receive these public benefits anyway, there's no need to jump through these additional hoops to qualify as a, a statutory special needs trust. Instead, you can set up a very customized, you know, uh, type of family trust or an irrevocable set-aside trust for, for your child. It doesn't have to meet all these or, or those extra qualifications. And it can just be a set aside of, you know, a fund. And maybe you, you have the child's you know, brother or sister one day, you know, be the trustee and just kind of look out for them and hold the money. And that's very common. And, and yeah, I'm glad you made that distinction there. Um, so yeah, absolutely. And that, again, that's far more common, um, just like you might do with any child disabled or not. Um, many, Families will put assets into trust for their children, at least until they're maybe 30 or 35 or 40 years old, um, just to have someone else hold the, the money for a time and use it for that child's needs until the child's ready to take it over. It just so happens for Calvin, he may never get to that age. So it'll probably be a set aside permanently for him, which is fine also. Um, 
So could really you good also, distinction chain. Could you also um, um, give the distinction of, because you already mentioned it once and then and, and a second time, but using the alternative, which is revocable versus irrevocable trust. Um, oh, sure. I think that's really, really important um, to understand. Certainly. Um, Revocable trust is just what it sounds like. The creator of the trust who puts assets into it can take it back at any time. That's a revocable trust. And those are very common in estate planning. So me and my wife, we have a revocable trust. It's mostly to protect in case of our incapacity. It's to help streamline things at our death in the administration. Um, An irrevocable trust, again, that's just what it sounds like. The assets that are transferred to the trust by the um, grantor, you can't take them back. And what that allows, and so for the scenarios we're talking about here, at my death and, and Kelly's death, when our children are now set to inherit or receive whatever we have left, um, we would probably have Calvin's share go to an irrevocable trust that would just be set aside for him. I'm the creator of the trust. I'm dead. I can't revoke it. I don't want anyone else to just be able to come in and take the assets out and undo the planning I've done. I want to have it be set aside under the terms I've set forth in an irrevocable manner. And I certainly, not even for public benefits, but um, you know, Calvin, if he's a disabled person, he shouldn't have the power to, you know, maybe take things out or or revoke it also. So the irrevocable trust would be the way I, even after my death, can have rules in place for how that money is used for Calvin and how the trustee should take care of him. So so good distinction. The revocable trust um, would really just be maybe for whoever's creating the plan for their own um, estate planning purposes. The irrevocable trust is what we'd be looking for 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 these uh, disabled individuals. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Really good point. What, and what is, and on general, when someone wants to approach you or any attorney, if you have any kind of pulse on the range of fees that you find this to be, uh, but the expense is for families to take this route to, to do that. And then in the same breath, maybe any kind of recommendations for any type of um, um, pro bono, um, attorneys or nonprofits that also can possibly serve in this similar capacity that you may be aware of um, that may be helpful because again, socioeconomics play heavily into this population um, and not everyone has the means necessary um, um, to do this. So. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, So Every legal market will be different. I actually have no idea how other states or areas would price things. Um, in Northern California, um, for a, um, a, pl- a revocable trust plan that has these provisions for maybe children after your death, um, I mean, a revocable trust plan is maybe like 3500 to maybe five or 6000 roughly. Mm. Um, if you're setting up some sort of special needs trust right now, some irrevocable public benefits protected type of trust that's separate from this. So you're setting up an irrevocable trust. Um, that might be a comparable price also in addition or separate. Um, just, mm-hmm. you know, not to speak for any other attorney, of course. Um, mm-hmm. So th- 
so that can vary and that's that's a real cost right and that's something to judge you know whether you need that now as far as the irrevocable trust or if you know there's there's balancing to be done uh, with the work and the, the cost, right? Of uh, co- cost benefits, cost benefit analysis. Yeah, certainly. Um, as far as pro bono, um, that's a broader question. For for here, the local. So every state has a, a bar, I, I believe, and so counties, county by county, will have a local bar association. Um, that would be probably the the first resource I would check as far as maybe potential pro bono legal services that could be done if, if there's a family that has an urgent need for special needs planning and just doesn't have the ability to pay, I, that, that would be something worth looking into. Um, I'm glad you, you mentioned costs. So I'm an estate planning attorney. So of course, I, I think everyone needs some sort of estate plan, um, but not everyone needs you know a full-blown you know public benefits, irrevocable trust type of trust, right? Um, I want to bring up an alternative to trusts. Um, th- this is a ABLE account. Um, I'm not sure if, if maybe you guys are familiar with those or have seen those, but um, Texas just, has re- one now. Texas has one. So just really briefly, um, ABLE account is, we were talking about public benefits a moment ago, and that if you have too many assets, the disabled individual could be disqualified from some needs-based benefits. So ABLE, and I forget the acronym, something about assuring a better life. It's an acronym, ABLE account. <laughs> yeah. So, something I, like yeah, that. Exactly. I, don't, I forget what it is either. <laughs> like, uh, We're yeah, drowning um, in them. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. <certainly. laughs> um, but the essence of this is really, it's a type of account where if the disabled person owns and benefits from it, it still won't be counted against them. So every state, um, it's it's a federal, um, the ABLE account is a federal um, um, type of uh, a concept, but it's implemented on a state-by-state level. So when Gene says Texas just got one, like, yeah, I, I don't think Idaho has one now. California does have one. Um, what's interesting, so the basics are anyone can put money into it. You can put it into up. I think the annual contribution limit is 16000 So that's money that the family, the grandparents, whoever can fund to this trust, uh, not trust, fund to this account for the disabled person. Uh, the assets won't be counted against that person, um, but they can use that to support their... It's a pretty loose standard. I think it's any expense that is incurred as a result of living with a disability or something very loose like that. So it could be used for transportation or um, like technology services or additional health needs, um, really broad um, permissible uses of those funds. Um, And anyone can contribute to it and it it gets set aside. There's uh, maximum amounts that can be funded to the account. And I think that is state by state. I think California has one of the higher limits. So it's 500 thousand plus is the maximum that can be funded to that able account. Um, so Jean is in Texas. If she wants to open a California account, I think she can do that. California allows out of state participants uh, to open a California able account. Um, I'm not sure if Texas allows out of state people, but so that's something I, to maybe look at. I think that there's out of state people that can contribute to it, but I'm not sure that we could have, I think, there were lots of things. There were some things that ended up not being very appealing and then limiting. And then it seemed like it was not an applicable 
uh, thing for us and the particular circumstances and what was being laid out. And I, I'm, it was that long ago now that I'm like, my men, my, it's stored away back here somewhere. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. Um, is, so an able account, I mean, it's, I don't think for everyone, um, it might work well if maybe there's a, um, a disabled individual, let's say they're an adult and let's say they're rather high functioning. Um, maybe what could be done is this would be a way to um, put aside liquidity and assets for this person. They might have um, a special charge card that they could use that could be preloaded with certain limits. Maybe a thousand dollars is put on and the, the person, the individual can have some level of autonomy to draw against that account. Um, so, so yeah, it's a, it's an option. Um, we do more special needs trusts because you can add on your own provisions and customize it and direct where things go later. Um, and, but anyway, able account is something I wanted to bring up because that's certainly less expensive than creating a whole trust. And if you're looking for, um, a way to set aside funds for a disabled person that, you know, is, is trying to also qualify for public benefits, that that's certainly something to maybe look into and, and, and research a bit. Yeah. And I would say that was something that we were exploring, um, personally and, um, there was another one here in Texas too. There was another form and uh, I can't remember what it was. Um, but again, having that person to help you with like exploring public benefits, one of the things, and if it wasn't an attorney, there is uh, third party resources that help with all servicing, all kinds of public benefits um, for lining stuff up. Like for here, the Medicaid waiver list is a huge to do and major process um, to go through and you kind of, you need that third party to do that. That's somebody who here in Texas, I know can, can do that. There's a couple different vendors. Um, and then, uh, the other thing that was cool that when they set up my son's trust, um, cause this was my, my husband's parents' family, it was that saying that they opened it up for anyone to contribute to it too. So basically, almost to function almost like a personal <laughs> able account um, for any other family that was like, I'm going to give you this big chunk of money or this kind of monetary supplementation over time. That's an account that it can, that it can go into um, was also another, um, another form. Um, yeah. I was really, uh, so it was crazy because I was super duper anxious and, um, it was a year, it was probably a year into diagnosis. My son, I felt like he was diagnosed late, um, like you. Um, and I was super anxious about the long-term medical care that he was going to require and not, you know, any kind of support that he would need beyond with underneath that, that, that tent of being 21 and under and being eligible for certain services and resources. And when you reach that point of like aging out, what was that going to look like? So I was very scared and it was like, I kind of needed something to exist in the meantime. And um, mm -hmm. family was very responsive to that because his family, his father's very up in age too. So why he's been doing and planning for his estate planning. That's always been, that was something that he was very amenable to, you know, 
considering how how we how he would have to alter things to maybe make sure that he could create some security for for Rory. Um, so so yeah, I was I was kind of. <laughs> I, I was getting bogged down about overthinking things way too, too far and ahead. And I was like, I just need to like pare down <laughs> this. Yeah. I need to make, I need to make this pare down and um, realistic and kind of open-ended uh, so that we had some, some flexibility. Um, so I really liked that mm-hmm. you preface that um, by saying like, this is not a, you don't, no, don't get bogged down by thinking things too far out um, because that will halt you in the process. Yeah, it, it absolutely can. It gets just overwhelming trying to think through every scenario that might occur, you know, in the future, you know, immediate decades later, it's just, it's, it's too hard to predict. And a lot of these documents, you can just update them whenever you need. So really just trying to lock it down for the immediacy is, is the, the priority. So to um, piggyback on that, um, Gene and Jeff, what would you say, Jeff, would be like maybe the first? So you have a minor child, right? Mm-hmm. What would be like the first three, four, five steps you would recommend and take to begin your your planning for the future, the immediate future, like you've been saying for oh. your child? What would what would we what would we do? Okay, great question. First, I would get a binder together or a notebook where you start compiling all of the details of like, who takes care of this? What is this vendor's name? What resource and who's the contact person here? Like putting that all together in one place, like it's going to be impossible already for someone to come step into your shoes to start caring for this person without having to figure out like, you know, where does Calvin get this? Who does this for Calvin? Who was the person that prescribed this? So putting the, I think the medication history, you know, where, where, um, what doctors has he talked to? Who does he go to for treatment? Teacher, like babysit, like just every, putting all that information together in one place and getting a little bit organized because if something happened, like if you just extract the parent from this, who's been doing all the work and, gone through years of pulling these loose ends together, there's just no way to pick up the trail. Um, so, so I think that would be maybe just number one and probably the easiest thing to start with, right? Is just yeah. the work has already been done. Just getting it organized and into one place would be a huge help for whoever needs to maybe step into your shoes. Um, another thing is I would start putting the thought into I guess, into these legal, uh, this framework, it's not just who, you know, what happens to Calvin? It's okay. Who takes care of Calvin's healthcare decisions? Who takes care of Calvin's money that's set aside? You know, who, you know, who's going to be in town and look after him on a day-to-day basis? Who's going to have the legal responsibility to make the decisions for his care? And, And so separating those out and identifying what family members or friends are in the best position to do that. Um, sometimes um, clients, sometimes they want to just make those decisions and keep them private and just put them in their document. And it will almost be a surprise to the nominated successor. Ooh, surprise. Um, yeah. Like, Oh, I was nominated. Um, others are, you know, they want to have the full discussion and, and 
get buy-in from these people that are going to be nominated. Um, I think there's pros and cons to both. Um, but I think if it's possible to have those discussions and really sort of work out the plan beforehand, um, I think that's probably the better way. Um, so it can be a hard thing to digest and, and really consider, but I think it helps if you can just say like, well, if it's next week, it's next week and I'm gone, you know, who's in best position. I get that a lot with clients who hesitate maybe to put their parents in as the the next yeah. in line because they're like, oh, they're getting older and, you know, they might not be around, but if something happens next week, it'd probably be, you know, my father who actually right. comes in and helps with things and he's fine for the immediacy and I'll update my document later if, if I need to. Um, I guess when, once you have sort of a, an idea of that in mind of who would take over for things, I think, um, I think it would be worthwhile, even if you don't, so approaching an attorney, I would make sure that they are um, specialized in estate planning, um, maybe not a generalist, but someone who really, you know, they focus on estate planning and if possible on special needs planning and disabled individuals. Um, I think it, it would be very worthwhile to at least just schedule a paid consultation, just buy an hour of time and come with your questions and just have the full discussion, even if you don't necessarily, even if you're not sure you want to work with that and have that attorney do all the documents, but just getting in there and getting an opinion on, you know, what is needed. And, you know, especially if, if you have a child that may need to qualify or does qualify for public benefits, bring that to the table and, and it's an hour investment, but it'll at least kind of set you in the right direction on some things to consider. And then from there, you can start pulling together you know, find the right attorney to do the estate plan if it's not that one. And um, so I guess those are some immediate steps uh, to do. Um, One, just a very practical consideration. Sometimes people will, um, they have life insurance or retirement accounts. And when they first start working, you know, the, the form. So those are two types of assets that they don't necessarily follow your will or your trust. Those are usually distributed according to a contract you have with the custodian. It's called a beneficiary designation form. And so you, when you open the account, you're like, okay, great. I have an IRA now. And you just click through all the boxes and sign whatever. And it's, you know, it may not have a lot of thought put into it. And then later in life, you find out my child has a disability. So revisiting some of those forms that you may have filled out, which might say something like, if I die, it goes to my children in equal shares. I don't necessarily want Calvin's share just going to him outright. I want right. it directed somewhere else. So that would be a um, uh, maybe something that's sort of sitting and hidden that that might be a problem. So so finding your life insurance policies and your retirement accounts and seeing what it's called your your beneficiary designation, checking those to see what they say and maybe updating those. You don't need an attorney for those necessarily. Um, to no, but a financial advisor do. helps. That's what my husband does. Yeah. That is literally what he does. Does yeah. estate planning well, for that. And I just want to jump in and say that that was really helpful to me because my husband has retired from being a law enforcement officer. And we were looking into his pension. And obviously, like I'm the beneficiary for his pension right now. But there are also 
different things that he can do to where Gracie with a disability would get a higher percentage as a beneficiary than I would as a spouse. But knowing that that income for Gracie could then disqualify her for other things is very helpful to know. Just like those little inner workings that you may not consider, and then we would make her the beneficiary, and then it would actually harm, you know, and not actually benefit her. Yeah. Yeah, so thank you for sharing that. Oh, and I also absolutely. wanted to say that we were all giggling when you were like, you may want to get a binder. <laughs> because, <laughs> because, yeah, I'm sure you all have one already. But yeah. <laughs> how many binders and how many notebooks and how many files and organizational and methods and, and the type of historians that we are for our own <laughs> children. Like literally all I can think about is even Brittany's like Bible of Austin. I'm like, oh, Brittany already has that. <laughs> yeah. Binders yeah. everywhere. I- I'm sure I'm preaching to the choir on that one. Yeah. yeah. But it's, oh, but, there's, but, but there's it is a problem. To learn. Many, yeah. parents, many parents don't do it and they don't think about it. And that's the hardest adjustment. If that's not something that they're predisposed to being wired to doing, like being in this arena to be a good advocate, that is like num- numero uno thing you need to do is to, to track all of those things and compartmentalize it. And I also wanted to say this and with our listeners, um, myself, I can code switch and all of us are doing that. Oh, uh, I will exclude you, Jeff, from this conversation (laughs) in a way, even though I know that you are a parent of a child with a disability, but by trade, you are, you are automatically wired and trained to, to to have these conversations and in a very pragmatic and like almost mechanical way, right? There is a lot of heaviness into exploring all of these things when she were confronted with, oh my God, I have to consider this. Okay. So I will tell you to take into consideration your capacity and your mental health as you start to put your toe in this arena of exploring that, because it's just like, you know, when we start to understand, you know, navigating the health insurance, you know, arena, navigating the arena of IEPs and education, all of these things are are really heavy and they can be very confronting and triggering. And all of a sudden you are, you know, flashed right back into like periods of grief um, because you're having to think about things that you would not be thinking about like you would if this was your typical child. And so I want to say that that is not lost on any of us at Moms Talk Autism, you you know that. And so, you know, and it's not to exclude you, Jeff, <laughs> from that total conversation. But like a lot of times I, as a parent, I struggled with sometimes talking with medical professionals and educational professionals for this reason, because there would be a loss of that kind of like empathetic vein. And knowing that this is why this seems so mechanical and easy, it's really, it's not. Um, and it can be really, really hard. And so I'm not really sure how you yourself, and maybe you wanted to now piggyback on what I just said to kind of just say like how you are helping parents with, with that piece by managing, you know, the, the practical pieces of, of getting the work done for your clients. Yeah. I'm glad you, you brought this up. We have, um, almost a saying like an estate planning like the documents can't solve the problems. Like they can, you know, memorialize the decisions that the family wants to make, 
but what, exactly what you're describing, the emotional uh, labor to get to these and these hard conversations and all that work, and it is work that has to be put in to get to that point. I mean, those ultimately do rest on the client and the family to do. And sometimes, you know, I'll have meetings and I can lay out options and here's different alternatives you can do. And here's consequences, pros and cons, but that is, I can't make the decision and I can't, you know, have those conversations and decide on any of those things. And so I, I, I'm glad you, you brought that up. It is, there's limitations and the documents can't cure things. They just can kind of reflect the decisions and the work that, that the family's willing to do. Um, so as far as I think you asked about the practical, like how do you help a family through it? Um, I probably, I, I mean, I wish I could, I could do more and, you know, be better at that. Um, we certainly, you know, try to maybe assist. We mentioned those beneficiary designations. I mean, that's kind of a practical point, you know, getting, making sure assets are titled to the right trusts or that, that assets will flow the way they need to at the time that the right people are appointed and have the legal authority. I mean, those are all, I mean, that's all like the legal work, right? That's the mumbo jumbo Mm -hmm. actually helping them through um, those difficult things uh, just on a practical basis. Um, You know, it's kind of more at that point, it's like, Hey, parent to parent, I can empathize and, you know, I'll try to, you know, and there's been some good discussions that way, but um yeah, it, it's a hard it's a hard road, and it's kind of the family has to walk it though. You said parent to parent. You know that's an organization, right? <laughs> I did not. <laughs> it, it is, and I'm a member oh, of it and okay. family faculty here in Texas. And um, so I'm glad that you brought that up because one of the things that you can do to ease your load in helping parents <gasps> is helping them get that peer to peer support that they may need. Why they so they can get more of that sounding board that you're not able to to give them in that facet. So finding another parent through that organization like that that may have walked that part that path and they're like I I just need advice and support. I've never done this before. Um, if you don't have a parent to parent, there's like family alliance, um, and there may also be specific alliances specific to your child's diagnoses. Um, where you can also find those, those types of parent connections to get that kind of mentorship in that, in that way. So it's like, it's just the same way that the medical professional can't be the end all be all. That's why we've created mom talk autism. That's why we're having this Mm -hmm. podcast is because we believe so deeply in that peer to peer support. And this is just one way we're able to offer it, but on an individual basis, like a one-on-one basis, which will be is necessary because it's case by case. And and the time that, you know, is required, the time and tenderness, having that peer-to-peer support is is good. So that's, you could, I don't know what's in your area. I, I, I don't, I don't even know if I have room in my brain <laughs> to try that on. Um, but if you look that up, that might be something that also might like partnerships for you guys and helping, you know, even being a resource for those families from those organizations coming back to you guys to be, to be a resource, you know, since you're a partner and everything. No, that's a great idea. Thank you. I, I was a little bit afraid for a second when you said, you know, that's an organization, don't you? And I was, um, I hope it's a worthwhile one. Oh, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. It's a, it's a nonprofit, very humanitarian effort. Don't worry. No one's coming after you for any kind of copyright or anything. You're good. You're fine. All good. <laughs> 
Oh, man. That's awesome. Well, we let's let's start wrapping up, everybody. Um, is there anything that we haven't covered that we we have missed, Jeff or or ladies, that we we need to kind of cover? I feel like getting those first steps started is really um, going to mm-hmm. be key for a lot of our listeners. Okay, uh, so I have one more question. Awesome. Um, when we're looking, I love the tactical first steps because I am very. Like I'm type A and I need like a checklist. So that's super helpful. Um, But Jean had mentioned doing, you know, the irrevocable trust versus a special needs trust. What are things that people should keep in mind when they are going in? Like what are like the biggest points of each that would maybe help them decide like which one should I be looking at at this point? That's a good question. Um, I think just how our discussion has gone we, we sort of um, spent a lot of time, maybe a disproportionate amount of time on these specific um, statutory, you know, types of trust that protect for public benefits. Most clients that I've dealt with or, or deal with, they may have a disabled person, but um, they're not necessarily going to try to qualify for that. So to your, to your question, Shannon, um, probably what I would expect for, for most parents here who have minor children that are planning for the future and they're setting up their plan, um, you're going to have some sort of provision where the parents will continue to just care for the child as long as they need to. If one parent passes, you know, the other would continue on with that. It would only be after the second uh, parent passes or when the parent can't handle it anymore that you'd, you'd roll these assets over to something else for, for the child. Probably it would be something very similar to what Jean described where it's, it's not necessarily having all the bells and whistles. It could be um, fundamentally assets will transfer to this trustee to hold. It will be an irrevocable trust. So a special needs trust is a ir- type of irrevocable trust, Shannon, um, to your to your point. Um, but special needs trust, that phrase can apply to the specific statutory ones that we described for public benefits, but it, it can also be a more general term an irrevocable trust for the benefit of a disabled person. Um, and, and that's probably what I draft more of. If the family has come to me, they have some resources, they expect to leave some inheritance or set aside for the child. They just want it to be held by someone else instead of the child for, you know, so that just as a practical matter. Um, yeah. So, so probably I, I think Shannon, in your, like what should you watch for and how do you make that decision? Um, mm-hmm. Unless you, you have kind of a specific and, and the attorney could advise, but unless there's like a specific yeah. reason that you have to jump through the hoops and qualify, um, I think most clients will end up like, like Jane did, where I just need a normal trust and a, 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 a standard irrevocable trust that will have these certain provisions for um, the disabled person. Some, sometimes even aside from like the tax uh, provisions that are in that, um, you might have additional provisions. So I have I have three children. At my passing and Kelly's passing, we might divide it into three shares. We might give Calvin more since he has more needs, but let's say it's three equal shares. I might say for James and Adele, who don't have any issues, they might you know keep it in trust until they're 35 and then they can inherit, the, just take it and it's theirs. For Calvin, yeah. I might extend that duration, but then also include a lot more about instructions to the trustee about his care. Things like, um, you know, in um, something like 
the trustee in making distributions for his health um, should give consideration to, and then I can start listing, you know, hey, Calvin does horseback riding as part of his therapy. That should be considered a proper distribution by the trustee for his health and his well-being. Mm -hmm. You know, some additional specific provisions for for Calvin, right? Um, Mm -hmm. just, Just more tailored language because, you know, we've all put a lot of work into coming up with solutions that are tailor-made for, for these, these individuals. And, you know, there, there's room to customize and put that into a trust like that. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's helpful so, because I think sometimes we think like, well, our children have special needs, so I need to go make a special needs trust <laughs> when that may not actually be the thing that works the best. So it's good to know that there are other options that work also. Yeah. And um, if you, you're across the table from an attorney who, who deals in this, they'll have, um, the, the boilerplate and the standard provisions that should go into these. And, and there will be restrictions on things like, Hey, this money's not to go to refund or reimburse a public agency for, you know, there's just kind of the stock things that will be common to uh, many clients trusts. And, and then you can customize it from there also. Um, but, but the attorney there would, would know if, if it's someone who practices in the area. Great. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much for being on here. This is a wealth of information for people, especially those starting out. I will be listening to this over and over again and figuring out <laughs> where my holes are um, about um, Jean or Shannon's Shannon showing notes. me all of her notes. I have so many notes. Very nice. We want to, we will we'll try to do some links in our show notes for this as well. Um but we definitely like the whole retirement thing. I hadn't even thought about looking at my IRAs and the retirement and all that. That makes so much sense. So thank you so much, Jeff, for being here today and for answering our questions and helping us muddle through, you know, planning for our kids in the future. It's, it's a lot. And, um, and it can be very emotional and, um, you know, starting off little bits at a time, um, is probably the way to go and just organize yourself. So that's a great way great way to start. Can I so. say one more thing? Can I say Of one course. More of course. Um, okay. Two more things. One, we may need, <laughs> we may need, you like how I did that? We may need a Jeff 2.0. I'm just saying. Yes. Um, but Part I two. Do also, Part two. <laughs> yeah. I do also want to acknowledge one thing because people can't see us, right? Because it's all, we're not on YouTube yet. We're not that professional. Um, but I have to say that, Jeff, every time you said Calvin's name and started speaking about him, you got just the most sweet, genuine smile on your face. And so I just <laughs> right want to on. acknowledge yeah. that because we had some really hard topics that we talked about today. Um, and I think that sometimes it can be hard to, when you're not in the room, you know, seeing the people in the room. I just wanted to acknowledge that, that it was very sweet to see that. Oh, well, th- thank you for saying so. He's, um, yeah, he, he's he's a special kid. And I, I mean, we're just so lucky he is who he is and, and we can be part of his life. And and thank you all for, for having me. This was a, a lot of fun. And I'm. it seems like you're doing a lot of good work. I, Brittany, I, I hadn't heard of the podcast in, until you know we started talking and it, it seems like a great resource. And so thank you so much. I, oh yeah, now you here. get to use this resource for your clients too. Yeah, um, absolutely. <laughs> shameless plug. Um, shameless <laughs> plug. But Jeff, by the way, is the only actual professional on this call, legal yes. professional. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we are not, none of us are medical professionals whatsoever. Um, so that disclaimer always exists out there. Um, 
Oh yeah, this isn't legal advice. Can I make that disclaimer too? Please, whatever disclaimers you need to make. Yeah, don't rely on this. Talk to your own attorney. Yeah, yeah, I'm not your attorney. (laughs) Exactly. I did mean I meant to say that in the beginning after you were just like, is there any disclaimer that Jeff would like to make before he goes into this entire thing? Yeah, it is is important to say. Yeah. 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 Well, let's end um, on our peaks of the week. Uh, Ladies, I I tried to give Jeff a little warning to think of something uh, for his peak of the week. But Shannon and Jean, do you guys have anything that you want to share? Oh, gosh. And it's giving me like buggy eyes. Oh, God. Uh, Tell um, us about your house. Oh, I could tell you about the house. Um, It's almost done. Fingers crossed. Knock on wood. Um, And... You know, Jeff, our new house actually has like a mother-in-law suite because we were future planning for Gracie. Um, ah. So the new house is almost done. And um, right now it's going to be our like place where we put all of our workout equipment and stuff like that. But um, but because there's a lot of it. Um, but the goal <laughs> there was we don't know how long Gracie will be with us and she very well could live with us forever. So it's a it's a space where she can have a little bit of independence and have her own kitchen and her washer and dryer and hopefully still be protected and safe, but still be able to learn those skills. Um, So fingers crossed, it's supposed to be done the 30th. I don't know when this airs, but hopefully by the time it airs, we're in the new house. You're you're in the new house. Everything's unboxed. You're good to go by the time people hear this. (laughs) That's what we're going to manifest right now. Prayers up. We all have mastery in this arena of future planning and different pockets. Clearly. Shannon has got the house thing down. Brittany's binders are way bigger than mine, and I already have the trust. So you know, there you go. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, my peak is that uh, Rory has now um, reintroduced eating pasta. He is eating pasta Ooh. with bread sauce like twice a day. Um, this is huge considering um, he had his diet was consisting of occasionally pizza, mainly milkshakes, at least every day, fruit roll ups like wow constantly and um cereal uh and chips so you know pasta with red sauce some he used to love pasta like way back in the day and um so now we're we're having a a thing and um and his specific brand specific noodles so i will not and shall not deviate from from this and ride this as long <laughs> as i can that's an exciting development i i hear you that is. the diet and nutrition is I mean, a constant battle. Ugh, so constant. Good, good on you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, Jeff, what what's your peak of the week? What's going on with you yeah, guys? Um, peak of the week. So uh, Calvin, one of the things he loves is water slides. So we're going to take him to the, the water park here. Um, <gasps> you are? Uh, ne- this next week here. Yeah. The uh, sun splash. And yeah. I think this Friday, Saturday, we're going to head out to the coast um, by uh, uh, Fort Ross here and... You know, well, see some cool weather and the ocean and stuff. That's awesome. Yeah. I'll talk to Kelly. Um, maybe we can meet you at Sunsplash and Calvin and Ruby can go together. Calvin would be delighted. And <laughs> as would Ruby. They would hold hands the whole time and just run around, I'm sure. It's, it's funny because it's, it's a true. date. <laughs> it's a date. Yes. It's oh, yeah. a date. They're in love. <laughs> Fantastic. 
<laughs> oh, that's great. Well, my peak of the week, um, we just got back from a trip and there were there were some very low points, which maybe I'll talk about on a future episode. But one of our high points was we were in um, Central Oregon near Bend and um, we did a lava tube uh, cave thing. I don't even like tour. It's not a tour. No one guides you through. They just hand you a flashlight and say, have fun. And we walked in and we took Austin and Ruby and all of the cousins, including the three-year-old twins, my, my nieces. And we did the entire thing. And I could not be more proud of Austin and Ruby handling all of that sensory, not only oh, yeah. input, but deprivation with lack mm-hmm. of light and other sounds. And it, just, it was a lot to take in. Very, very different from what they're used to. And they did amazing. And um, that's awesome. We, we may have snuck in a couple of snacks. Don't come at me, park rangers. But <laughs> we <laughs> made it. And it worked. And um, it was a big tr- family triumph, you know, for, for, for us to be able to accomplish something like that as a whole family. So that's, big peak. That's amazing for, for yeah. any kid that age. I mean, those, that could be scary. So it was, it was a little scary for Ruby at first, but we saw some yeah. ice hanging from the cave and we told her that Elsa was in there and she was all on board <laughs> after that. So running off into the darkness. Yeah, yeah. She was like, cool. Elsa's here. I'm good. So yeah. It's frozen too. Sounds like a perfect frozen two setup. Actually it is. It is. Yeah, I have a good yeah. point. Well, thank you everyone for listening in today. Um, Hopefully you had your notebooks handy um, and you can uh, maybe listen again and and, uh, pass this on to anyone that you feel could use these kind of first steps to get going on um, planning for for our kids. And thank you again, Jeff, for being with us. And uh, we will see you next time. Great. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye.